a freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Getting, Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> Oh, yes. Good morning. Hello, everybody. It is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, Seattle Sports app, podcast platforms. We are everywhere. We're in your house with you right now. We're in your car. Wherever you are, we will find you. Given stalker vibes. That's exactly right. Early that's, in the morning. That's my vibe today. I'm going with the stalker vibe today. Uh, Justin's <laughs> out, and so uh, Brady Bones is going to be in the building here for the next week or two. What's up, Brady? Good to have you here. Always happy to work this show. Heck yeah. Who doesn't love waking up before the crack of dawn? Brady's on that list and he's <laughs> here, which is great. Thank you. We appreciate it. Um, I'm going to start the show today. And today's going to be a baseball day for the most part. After the six o'clock hour, we got a lot of football stuff early. And then once we hit seven, it's going to be like bang, baseball for like most of the rest of the show. Uh, we're going to talk to Colton Wong today, new Mariners second baseman. We're going to talk to David Schoenfeld, who graded the Mariners offseason, and along with all the other teams in the league. So it's going to be a big baseball day. But I wanted to start, before we get to a lot of that, with what I think will be an unpopular opinion. I know. Shocking. But I don't think it's a very serious one. So I don't know whether anybody followed this yesterday. You know how much I like the drama. Like a little bit of the soap opera, the behind you the scenes. No. Like a little bit of it. So uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, who also likes the drama, in his case, he likes being in the middle of it, he had a little Valentine's Day tweet. So while we were sending these beautiful love letters to people like Luis Castillo and Morris Fingers, etc., uh, Juju decided to write Happy Valentine's Day, everybody, with a little picture of, what's the guy's name, Bradbury? James Bradbury. James Bradbury, not Ray. James Bradbury. And it says, I'll hold you when it matters most. Oh. A sweet sentiment, right? I'll hold you. No. For Valentine's Day. Except, no, that's the guy who was holding him on, in the game. So. Probably one of the worst moments of his professional career. I know. Yeah, it's a, it's quite the shot. So everybody gets upset. And A.J. Brown, uh, who I love, rushes to his defense and says, first off, congratulations, y'all deserve it. This is lame. <laughs> he was on the way out of the league before Mahomes resurrected your career on your one-year deal, TikTok boy. He admitted that he grabbed you, but don't act like that or that, that you're like that or ever was. But congratulations again. All right. Dude. I like both of these things. I'm not. AJ Brown owned him. He did, but I'm not mad at, at Juju. It's very much on brand. Two he is. And I don't think it was evil. I mean, it's trash talking a little bit, but it's funny. And it's, it's I think, a little bit sort of playing into the Valentine's Day thing. I don't know. I totally understand why the Eagles got mad because you're rubbing salt in the wound for a call that this guy was absolutely stand up about. Like he stood up and was like, hey, I take responsibility. I take accountability. And then the other side just rubs his nose in it. I understand why the Eagles are mad. But I kind of like stuff like this, especially if it's said with a smile. And I get the sense that Juju says it with a smile. Maybe I'm wrong. Certainly enough of the other players got mad. I mean, I saw somebody saying, I see why Eli or was it Bradbury himself said, I see why Eli Apple gets so mad, et cetera. DK had a little meme. CJ Gardner Johnson got in there and said like that he ran from him in game. 
And uh, Juju tried to clap back at him, and CJ said, I got more interceptions than Bra had touchdowns. <laughs> Maybe I need to change to wide receiver. Uh, yeah, I just think you could get away, he could get away with this if he was an impact player on the team, mm-hmm. but he was not. Um, but so he was an impact player on that play. Like, you don't have a right to. <laughs> but wasn't he an impact player on that play? Yeah, except for we established that we don't even think that ball was catchable. It was just a bad decision by Bradbury. <laughs> I mean, I think that, but, but no, you Brock know. said he didn't. Well, oh, no, wait, Brock no, said, Brock said it is catchable if I, he doesn't hold them. I mean, Sean Johnson and um, Brandon Jacobs, who were on before us that day, said no, but no. Brock said yes. Well, Mark Schlereth, by the way, was not a fan of the call either. And, you know, not that this is going to be all about that call, but yeah, he he was sort of with me on this. I hated the call. I mean, you know, first holding call, defensive holding call of the game. And, you know, at the line of scrimmage, there's some hand fighting that's allowed there on the, on, you know, if you're playing press coverage. So I just thought there's probably. You know, there, there are probably 10 opportunities or 10, 10 things that happened during that game that were more egregious than that that were never called. Like uh, Greg Maddox said, you know, when I first, he goes, when I would, when I would check it out, what, what I would get in the first inning, you know, I, I'd throw it, you know, right on the edge, and then I'd, I'd get a little further out on the black, and then I'd get an inch outside, then two inches outside. And if I'm getting strikes, I keep working outside until the guy doesn't give me the strike anymore. And now I know the parameters of the strike zone. Yeah, and it's tough to make all of a sudden a different call with two minutes left in the game, one that drastically changes the outcome as, as it was in this case. Look, I think it's kind of rough to pick on Bradbury. The guy was a stand-up guy, but I kind of like it. Not at, not at the kids' level. All right, I got people saying we supposedly <laughs> teach our kids about being good sports, being gracious winners. Mike, screw that. Look, I get it. It's not a great role model deal, right? And it's a great opportunity for you to take your kid aside and say, hey, this isn't how we behave, right? This isn't how we want to do it at the at the youth sport level. But I don't know, man. It says Juju shared a Valentine from the NFL memes Facebook page. Like It's not like he wrote it. Somebody else wrote it. He retweeted it basically and said, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I don't know. Somebody else did it. And Juju's got the ring for it. He's the one who was in there in that moment. And this is who he's been all along. I I, I don't know. I was kind of entertained. Now, we've had people suggest that Juju would be a good fit here in Seattle next year as a little inside third receiver. Would that intrigue you at all? Would you have any interest in Juju Smith-Schuster? No. Really? I don't have a little bit. Really? Not even a little because of this or no just in general i mean like he had a much better year with patrick mahomes there right i mean he was a really good player just a couple of years ago maybe he's too crazy i don't know but i'd be at least a little bit intrigued by him no hey look here's why seahawks need a third receiver let me just start with that they need a third receiver they They need another option offensively to try to make this offense go and he's got the skill set they need as a guy who can play inside, et cetera. That's something else that then you don't need to go and get in the draft, which allows you to continue to 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 work on your actual needs, which are you know, defense, 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 defense. Somehow I managed to pronounce it both defense and defense, <laughs> but they need both. That's how badly they need help on that side of the ball. They need both defense and defense. Okay, they're that they're that hurting in that uh, in that realm. So. Yeah, I, I would be okay with something like that. Plus, he's interesting. Pete kind of likes guys like that and finds a way, right? Him and DK together. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't work after all this since DK, of course, immediately jumped in on AJ Brown's side as they were former teammates <laughs> and good friends, et cetera. So maybe there's uh, maybe there's not much there. I do but. want them to stop trying to just get like the, the guy that's 
been bounced around a little bit, but is really fast because mm-hmm. that just hasn't well, like Marquise Goodwin would have been great if he could have stayed healthy last year. He seemed to have great chemistry with Gino. Yeah, I um, liked Marquise Goodwin, but yeah. again, yeah, you got to stay out on the field if you're going to be. And that's the problem with those can't stay on the field. Super fast uh, they had track guys. Philip Dorsett. I feel like he never got that ankle right. That. Well, that was Jake's boy. He kept saying yeah. Philip Dorsett was going to do but something. They were all like, oh, it's always like, oh, they're so fast. Yeah. They got that other dude, Penny Hart, too. Like, just find somebody who's good. And and <laughs> honestly, the funny thing about that, and, and Marquis Goodwin is, I think he's actually a pretty good player, just couldn't stay out on the field. But, you know, you, you, you look at what the Rams did in signing or tra- drafting, really, Cooper Cup. I know he's missed this last year, but they just went with a guy that was productive to play that position. You don't need to have unbelievable, crazy attributes to be a good inside receiver, right? Look at the guys who've been great at it, right? The Wes Welkers and the uh, Brandon Stokely's and the, you know, who before that, Troy Brown. And later you had, you know, e- even the little annoying guy from Dallas who's now in Buffalo. What's his name? Uh, Cole, Beasley. Cole Beasley. I mean, you just, you just find those guys who are, who are just productive. They just know how to get open inside. And, it, you know, Doug Baldwin, in many ways, was one of those guys, although I think he had maybe a little bit more skill to do it outside as well. But, you know, that third third receiver position, that inside receiver in the slot, right, dealing with a nickel corner, you don't need to be the fastest guy on earth. You just need to have that ability and that sort of understanding of where you need to be in a football field. And I don't know, Juju sure did that in the biggest moment of the year. So, all right. Uh, I should mention, uh, speaking of football, that the debut episode of the John Schneider Show is tomorrow, 4 o'clock with Wyman and Bob. The Seahawks GM is going to be on every Thursday between now and the first round of the NFL draft. John Schneider, tomorrow, 4 o'clock with Wyman and Bob for the first episode of the John Schneider Show. Certainly, we'll be talking about that tomorrow and have some sound from it. So we are looking forward to that as well. All right, we'll come back. We'll give you everything you need to know. Uh, As I said, a ton of baseball coming up starting at 7 o'clock this morning. It's Brock and Salk on Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Yes, it is finally here. The first of the major milestones as we creep along towards the start of baseball season. And yes, warmer weather ahead, at least I hope. Today, pitchers and catchers reporting for duty. Basically just means they have to be in the town of Peoria, but whatever. Most of them are going to take their physicals and weigh in before they start workouts tomorrow. In fact, many of them have already done that. Full squads obviously get a lot of the attention, but uh, I think this is a really cool day for this Mariner team in particular. This is the strength of the team. Pitchers and catchers, right? This is what this team right now is built on. Obviously, Julio as well, but this is going to be Luis Castillo's first spring training here. They're counting on him to be a difference maker over last year, as Jerry DePoto reminded us. We didn't view our offseason goal as trying to close a 16-game gap with the, the Astros. We don't feel like we were a true 16-game separation away from them because our team changed so much while that was all happening. So, you know, broadly, yeah, we finished behind them by, by that amount. You know, more acutely, what we saw after Luis joined the team, second half George Kirby was cons- considerably different than first half George Kirby. You know, 
June to September Julio was very different than April and May Julio. And then the same for Cal Raleigh. And the same, uh, our team evolved. They did. And again, the addition of Luis Castillo to me is the biggest among those. Uh, David Schoenfeld is going to join us at 830, graded their offseason as a B minus, which I guess I understand because they didn't get one of the big ticket items. By the way, one of those big ticket items people were upset about a year ago, Trevor Story, he's going to miss potentially the entire 2023 season and it best will be available by the all-star break so you know again a lot of these big ticket items that everyone's upset about haven't exactly worked out gangbusters for the teams they went to you add castillo and if they had done that in the offseason is a question i'm going to ask schoenfeld at 8 30 how would he have graded their offseason if they had added luis castillo in the offseason instead of in july how different would it have been because i think in their minds that was a move they made not just for last year but for this year and beyond. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, finally, action day in the NFL. The Raiders did make it official with Derek Carr. Becomes a free agent, and they get nothing for him. Zero, zip, zilch. Crazy, considering how much Seahawks got for Russell Wilson just a year ago. Anyway, sure doesn't sound like Seattle is going to be a fit. Everybody who's been listing potential teams and landing spots for Derek Carr has left Seattle off that list. So unless they're in stealth mode, it doesn't sound like that's someplace that they are too interested. It's a really good player, though, entering a bizarre back quarterback market, one in which the Seahawks may just keep it simple. Andrew Brandt says he's never seen anything really like this. You know, one of these quarterbacks in this market, I've never seen a market like this. In other words, usually the only people on the market for quarterbacks are people that know what he wants. You know, it's going to be the sort of backups the Tyrod Taylors the guys that are going to be placeholders for the rookies coming in and now you've got this big group so where is Carr going to go where's Rogers going to go where's Garoppolo going to go where is Gino going to go where's Daniel Jones going to go what about some of these other guys so I think the easiest answers are Gino Smith stays Daniel Jones days, and then we'll go through some others. Yeah, I think from an analyst point of view, I agree with them, and you'll hear the rest of that interview coming up here in about 10 minutes. But from a Seahawks point of view, the idea of accepting, well, this is the easiest? I don't know if that's the direction I want anybody to go. I want them to think about what's the best. And maybe the best is the easiest in this case. And bringing Gino back is your best opportunity for success. But don't be enraptured by the easiest. Don't settle. Figure out what the best is. What's the best way you can make your team closer to being a Super Bowl contender? That's the goal, and that's absolutely the direction I want them to go. Cardinals have a new coach. He's fresh off the Super Bowl. That would be Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon. So uh, both coaches, both assistant coaches for the Eagles, end up getting jobs elsewhere. Cardinals will have their uh, number three pick. Kind of an interesting one if these quarterbacks continue to rise after the combine right people seem to like Richardson and he's going to show up very well there same with Levis if all of a sudden teams get enamored with quarterbacks that would be very very good news for the Seahawks at number five here's the third thing you need to know I hate the shootout I hate it I think it's dumb I've thought it's dumb since the beginning I think you've made that clear I don't like the shootout and apparently neither did the Kraken they lost their third shootout in as many attempts yesterday stoned both times this time after playing the Jets to a 2-2 draw through 65 minutes let's be fair they did not play a good game and probably didn't deserve to win they looked awful early they were able to hang in mostly just because Philip Grubauer was so good but they finally got on the board quick up Morgan Geeky collects it out in front, they score on his birthday. That's hockey, baby. 
John Hayden. A lot made of John Hayden's birthday yesterday on the broadcast. I'll just say this. I kind of like his game. He's a fourth line guy, and I know it meant that you got to, you know, sit Daniel Sprung for a day in order to get him out there. But I just kind of like his game. He gets into the corners. He's gritty, and he found his way right to the front of the net, ended up scoring that goal. So that team goes 1 3 and 1 on the road trip. They were generally outplayed, I thought, throughout the five games. So what happens next, right? They come home for a rematch with Philly tomorrow night. Time to get this team to kind of get back to how they've been playing. Each time they've gone through one of these lulls, they've snapped back out of it. It'll be about time for them to do that again. Also, and I know more is excited about this huge golf weekend starting tomorrow. Tiger Woods going to tee it up for the first time in forever at the Genesis Invitational in L.A. He says he's ready to go. I would not have put myself out here if I didn't think I could beat these guys and, and win the event. Um, that's my mentality. And if I wasn't ready to win at this level, I know I am very rusty. Um but I've come off rusty situations before and I've done well and uh, I've had to utilize a lot of those tactics in practice and, and build up. And plus also I know this, this golf course. Uh, I know I haven't had a lot of success on this golf course, but I, I knew what to practice for uh, shots to hit um, while I was at home getting ready. So there you go. Tiger says he's ready to go and he's ready to win. That being said, he's yet to walk four rounds in four days. So we'll see if he's able to get that done. That is everything you need to know. And, of course, we do that quarter past every hour here on the new Brock and Salk show. How about that? I I can't say that I knew that there was an invitational this week. But Genesis, I did, I did yes. put that in Thank the you. notes last night because I thought you would care. Appreciate that. I mean, that, it's a safe <laughs> bet. There's a golf tournament essentially every week. It's the best thing about golf. There's no real off season. There is a tournament I have 51 weekends of the year. It's crazy. If you like golf, you can always find over the course of the weekend some golf to watch. And if there's not a PGA event, you can get a European event or sometimes they'll show college golf on TV. Like if you need golf to fall asleep like I do, there is always something on for you. Well, yes. Speaking earlier of how you like a little bit of drama, I feel like I've, I've been hearing you listen to the trailer for that Ooh. Netflix documentary. Tomorrow, big day. No, wait, today. Today's today's Wednesday? Oh, yeah. it's today. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. What's it called again? It's called Full Swing. Oh, yeah, there seems wait. like there's some drama in there. Oh, there's going to be all kinds of drama because of the whole live tour split and everything else. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Oh, I got to get out of here early then. I got to go home. <laughs> I should have right, woken up an hour earlier today. I could have done it before even coming in this morning. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'll be watching that uh, probably as soon as I get home today. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, Maura. Thanks for the reminder. You just <laughs> brightened my day. Anytime. Yesterday, uh, we spoke with our friend Andrew Brandt, uh, who's got an interesting background, right? As both an agent and a team executive. He used to work with the Packers and... And his view on the quarterback market was only the beginning. He got to hear what he has to say about the Seahawks and Geno Smith. It's next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports Station. Well, it's a Valentine's Day special today of Brock and Salk. We've had all kinds of great uh, poems that have been sent in. I like this one, Brock, just a moment ago. Pitchers and catchers are reporting. Matt Brash will punch tickets. But all we care about is Mora's long digits. 
Solid. <laughs> it's getting creepy, guys. Is it? Solid. Bunch of tickets. Definitely a theme in there. Hey, I know we have Andrew Brand on, and, uh, and we'll get off of poems, and we'll get to Andrew here in yeah. a second. But I did just get some odds. I've kind of become the odds guy, I mm. guess. Uh, I did get some odds on where Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, and Lamar Jackson end oh. up next. Okay. Uh, let's see. Ten different teams for oh Derek Carr was were the Seahawks one of them? Uh, no, not Aaron even Rodgers. Twelve different teams were the Seahawks one of them? Um, no, <laughs> Lamar Jackson. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Twelve different teams. Seahawks no, not on there. Not a one of them. Okay. So the Ozots makers <laughs> seem to think that Geno and Seattle are going to get a deal done. Sure and seems not that way. Even in play for any of well, those. Well, what three. a uh, lead in then to our friend Andrew Brandt, who we haven't talked to in way too long. Hello, sir. How are you? Always good to be with you guys. Doing well, thanks. Well, we miss you, uh, and and what a great time to talk to you. Is free agency isn't quite here yet, although for Derek Carr, I guess it will be by the end of the day because he'll be yeah. released and have a, a leg up on everybody else trying to sign. Let's start here with with Seattle, and then we'll get to some of these other quarterbacks. Do you believe that they're going to get a deal done with Geno Smith? Yeah, I mean, it is a busy time, especially for people like me, when you analyze what's going to happen in the next, you know, <laughs> now the games are over, it gets busy for people like me. Geno is one of these quarterbacks in this market. I've never seen a market like this. In other words, usually the only people on the market for quarterbacks are people that know what he wants. You know, it's it's going to be the sort of backups, the Tyrod Taylors, the guys that are going to be placeholders for the rookies coming in. And now you've got this big group. So where is Carr going to go? Where's Rogers going to go? Where's Garoppolo going to go? Where is Gino going to go? Where's Daniel Jones going to go? What about some of these other guys? So I think the easiest answers are Geno Smith stays, Daniel Jones stays, and then we'll go through some others. But it just seems natural. You know, it seems like the Seahawks aren't going to get into bidding, for like, like you just said, in terms of those odds. They're not going to bid for those guys. And they're going to go with what they've had and what was successful for them this year. To me, this is more interesting to me is what's the deal, not who's the deal. Because as I study these quarterback contracts, there really hasn't been a middle market. You know, it's been rookie deals and backups making six, seven, eight million dollars, and it's been forty million dollar elite quarterbacks. So Geno's not going to be one of those, in my opinion. So he's not going to be the forty million level, and he's not going to be the ten million level. So then it becomes, what's the level? That's the interesting negotiation point to me is. Is Geno Smith going to take a middle deal or look to the marketplace and see if he can get more than that, which he has every right to do? It feels, Andrew, as you're rattling names off there, then, doesn't it feel a little more Ryan Tannehilly, Kirk Cousiny, maybe that 30 to 35? The, the, the conversation in our market here has been well. It's probably going to start at that franchise tag of $32.5 million or so, that that's what Gino and, and his camp is going to be looking for. Is that good business for John Schneider and Pete Carroll and the Seahawks to be looking at? Yeah, I mean, it, the obvious answer is, what do you think of Gino Smith? I mean, I think there are people listening to what you just said, Brock, and going, Jesus, that's a lot of money for Gino Smith. But you're right. And the market you talked about with Kirk and the other guys is, is a little bit old, you know, it's a little bit couple years ago. So 
Does Gino, A, think that's a great deal? Does Gino say, no, I think we need to be more up to date with the market? Look what I did last year compared to the top guys. And how are the Seahawks going to handle this? And how long? And I don't want to get too inside my business, but really the issue with these contracts, as I pointed out all along, is not how much. It's how secure. So the Seahawks are probably looking at this like, you know, whether we give them 60 million over the next two or 70 million over the next two, get out. Can we get out? Can we get out potentially even next year, a la Derek Carr? Or can we get out at least in two years without remaining financial guarantees, without remaining big cap hits? So I think these negotiations are about a lot more than how much. So that's what we're looking at. Andrew, my, my question on this has more to do with roster construction because – uh, you know, at the end of the day, I don't care how much Gino gets paid. I hope for his sake he gets paid a lot, generational money. He deserves yeah. it. That's great. But my interest is in the Seahawks building a roster that can win a Super Bowl. So how 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 do you work that that cap number so that you can sign him to a deal that he's okay with and still upgrade a roster, especially defensively, that last year was not good enough to be a Super Bowl contender? You're hitting a sore spot for me, Mike. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I did Philly radio, same question about Hertz. I did Cincinnati radio, same question about Burrow. I did L.A. radio, same question about Herbert. Listen, let me try to be very clear on this. It's a cop-out. It's a tired excuse for teams, for fans, for media to say, you can't build a Super Bowl roster if you have a high-level quarterback. That, to me, is such BS. Such BS. Think about football these days. You got 50 to 70% of your roster is on rookie contracts, first four years. Right? So give them a conservative million-dollar cap figure for each of those guys. So now you've got over half your roster counting about $30 million cap. So now you've got $190 million to deal with the rest of your roster. And again, I can't say this strongly enough. It's not paying your quarterback $40 million that gets you in cap trouble. That is not what gets any of these teams in cap trouble. What gets teams in cap trouble is bad deals that go south, paying the wrong guys, having so much dead money in your cap for deals that didn't work out. And, you know, this is not the issue. It's never the issue whether you can pay a quarterback and build a good roster around it. Mahomes has a high quarterback, a high number. He just led the team to the Super Bowl. They got a team around him. I mean, this is something I don't know where this narrative came out. Mm. Well, I managed the Green Bay Packers for 10 years. We had the highest paid quarterback in the league. Never a problem. I don't mind that, though, Andrew. I, I think to me it's a slightly different conversation. I, I, I agree okay. with you on that. I agree. If you've got a, any of those quarterbacks you just mentioned, if you've got Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, if you've got Patrick Mahomes, if you've got one of the five guys or so in this league that are elite, you should absolutely pay them and figure it out. And we saw the Chiefs do it by going young elsewhere and, play, and paying a lot of young players. The question is, if you don't have one of those elite guys – is it worth paying a significant amount of money or are you better off 
going with a quarterback on a rookie deal or making less money like a Drew Locke, for example, who's been here in the system for a year and trying to spend that money elsewhere like the Eagles did on a lot of veteran players around him who can help carry a younger or not as not as high profile quarterback to victory. Yeah, I mean, again, it comes down to cash versus cap. If you're worried about cap and you have a significant veteran roster, you can make some push out. In other words, you can take some short-term gain and have some long-term pain. Obviously, teams like the Rams, the Saints, they've done this repeatedly, and the Rams, for one, are paying the piper now. But if you have a young team, you probably want to structure it a little differently, and you can load some cap. In other words, you don't have to do these signing bonuses that push out the pain. If you want to pay Geno Smith $25 million you can in first year, you can get him you know, a $20 million cap number. So you have flexibility later because you've got a young team, and you can save the money for later. It all depends on this. But you know the Seahawks better than I do. I'm here from afar, but it seems like you've got a really young team, and you don't have many elite contracts. So most teams have six or seven elite contracts, and it's usually the quarterback, the left tackle, the pass rusher, the shutdown corner, maybe one or two others. And then they're filling in around it. And, you know, I look at the Seahawks as a young team with all these rookie contracts. You could probably load a lot of cap into Geno Smith this year. I've got two more questions, one Geno and one Lamar. Uh, when it yeah. comes to now timing, Andrew, you said the Super Bowl ends Sunday. It is now right. Valentine's Day. I think it's March 6th is the franchise tag. So tell me from inside how this works over the next couple of weeks. You were on the inside. You were with the Packers. You negotiated these contracts. Uh, from a timing standpoint, as we sit here just kind of waiting for any smoke, right, to come out, out, of, the, out of the chimney when it comes to these decisions, what happens specifically timing-wise over the next couple of weeks? Well, you mentioned the tag. That's probably the first deadline. The first time action happens, as you know, my saying deadlines per action. I don't even know if March 6th was the beginning of the tag port or the end of the tag part, but it only matters what's the end of the tag because no one does it at the beginning. Um, I feel for Lamar. You know, I feel for him. You know, he is, if he was in another sport, he'd be making ginormous amounts of money. Uh, but this is a management weapon. The NFL negotiated. The NFL PA has never been able to get it out of there. It affects a lot of people, not just the 10 people a year that get the tag. I used it in all my negotiations, although I never applied it. It's something teams have in their back pocket, and the Ravens will probably use that, which makes it very hard for Jackson to get a good contract. Um, and the Geno negotiations are going on, and the Daniel Jones negotiations are going on and Aaron's going to decide what he wants to do. Derek Carr is a free agent as of today, I think. So this will all go on. I think, you know, what, what inside front office people have to do, which is so different than fans is just stay the course. You know, now we, we enter the longest off season in sports. So you just got to take a deep breath you know, these things will happen usually, like you said, at deadlines and try to, you know, con it's all the agent, too. It's like you've got to have communication relationship with these agents because that's where, where it is right now.
and you're going to talk, you're going to meet at the combine, you're going to meet at the owner's meeting, all those kind of things. Do you think they could trade Lamar? And if so, what does the market look like for him? I mean, with the money he wants uh, and the injury history, et cetera, I, I wonder how strong that market would be for them to try to deal him if they can't get a deal done. Well, again, it depends what happens with Rodgers and others and how many quarterback needy teams there really are after the musical chairs of where Carr lands, where Aaron lands, if Jones and Smith stay, where Garoppolo lands. And then you have all these rookie uh, draft quarterbacks that people seem to like. So I don't know if there can be a lot as many quarterback options as we think. And there's one school of thought that Tom Brady retired because he surveyed the market and there wasn't really anything out there. Mm -hmm. So who knows? That's just a theory, but yeah, I mean, I think Lamar could get traded. The issue is the contract because no one's going to trade for him without a contract. And he's been pushing the Watson precedent, which no owner wants to do. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother issue, but Watson got a fully secured deal. No one's ever gotten that at five years. So we'll see. And was arguably the worst quarterback in football this year. I mean, it, it, You know, it's it's a matter of whether or not at some point I wonder if these owners are going to wake up to this and say, giving some of these guys, these second tier quarterbacks, first tier kind of money, that's that's not necessarily a winning strategy. But your point is a good one in terms of, you know, I agree with you. You can win with great quarterbacks making big money. The question is, can you win with good quarterbacks making great money? And that's that's where I'm finding myself at a sticking point with Gino and wondering whether or not it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, it's a valid question. It's kind of a question, you know, I talked to people in the NBA. No one minds paying LeBron or Don Chich or, or, you know, Kevin Durant $40 million. What people mind, these, you know, backup players are making 15 to $20 million. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, in football as well. No one minds paying Mahomes or whatever, but it all comes down to where we started. What do you think of Geno Smith? If this was an outlier year, it's going to be tough to, to validate what kind of number he's going to get. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Hey, good stuff. As always, uh, it has been too long, as I said earlier, so we'll make sure to give you a call sooner rather than later. Uh, you should always be following Andrew on uh, Twitter, and he links to all his good stuff at SI, etc. He is uh, one of our favorites, and we appreciate it. Thanks, man. Have a good off season. Thank you, Andrew. Always a pleasure, guys. Take yeah. care. Yeah, I really enjoy uh, Andrew Brandt and have for a long time. Uh, I kind of met him years and years ago when I used to do a lot of stuff with ESPN Radio nationally, and he was just sort of starting off into the media business and got hooked up with him a couple of times on on shows. I was like, man, this guy's really smart and has such a cool insider opinion on how a lot of these deals get done from both sides of it. That's what I like about him. He understands the agent and player side of it, and he understands the team side of it as an executive. He's worked on both sides of it, plus he's you know a smart businessman, et cetera. So I just I always appreciate his perspective. And when he says that this is the craziest quarterback market he can remember, I, look, I take that seriously. That's something meaningful, right? And maybe the Seahawks look at that and say, you know what? It's too crazy. We're going to keep this as simple as possible and just dance with the one that brung you, which is Geno Smith in this case. Or maybe they look at it and say, this is so wild, we got to let it all sort out. And if that's the case and they don't sign Geno before free agency opens, who knows what happens at that point, right? Then all of a sudden, it's you're on the roller coaster. And maybe he finds a market somewhere else. We're going to find out a little more, I would think, in the next few days as Derek Carr's market starts to develop 
I don't know exactly when that is. I mean, he's got time. He has really, he's the only quarterback who can sign until what, March? So he's got like three or four weeks now that he's the only guy who can sign. Then we'll get free agency and then obviously the draft. But he's got a couple weeks to set the market and really have his pick of wherever he wants to go. All right. We'll know a lot more because I think there is a decent comp between Geno Smith and um, and uh, Derek Carr. But I'll tell you, you listen to Dan Orlovsky and he'll make Carr sound like he's going to get a whole lot more money than Geno. Two teams come to mind, the New York Jets and the Carolina Panthers. I'll remind everybody of two things. In 2021, Derek Carr midseason was an MVP candidate. And ask yourself this, when was the last time this league had a top 10, top 12 caliber player at that position that was a free agent? I mean, halfway through this year, Geno Smith was an MVP candidate. <laughs> I mean, it went away. He wasn't a very good MVP candidate. But, I, I mean, look, I'm not going to put Geno necessarily in that category, but top 10 or 12 quarterback, he might actually be in that realm, right, at the back end of it. Certainly based on what he did last year, he was. But that's all right. Everyone's just going to forget about him because he only did it for one year and he did it in Seattle, which doesn't really count. Pete Carroll was his coach, so nothing matters. It goes on here. Look, I get it. Um, I just I, – I think that those two – will have somewhat similar markets. I think I think he's right. Carr will get more because of the body of work, because of the name, right? Those two things are going to end up mattering more, but they're both second-round picks, right? I mean, both guys were drafted within a few years of each other, second-round picks. Now, Carr's been incredibly durable and played a lot of games with a lot of different coordinators, which is not necessarily his fault, but isn't that the Drew Locke argument? Right? Like, oh, if you could just get this guy some stability. Okay. Well, go to the Jets. I'm sure you'll get it. (laughs) Right? That's definitely where you want to go to get that kind of stability. Yeah. That'll probably work out. What was the other one he said? Carolina? Now, Carolina may be an interesting fit. That's the one Brock keeps pushing because Carolina has Frank Reich now, and they're like building an all-star team worth of worth of uh, coaches, and they've got some pretty good talent on that roster already, as we saw last year. They hit hard. They were physical, et cetera. So maybe that's just the best fit for him, and he sees an opportunity to have some, some stability there. But, oh, uh, yeah, I've had six offensive coordinators in nine years. I'm going to go to the Jets. Okay. That's a good idea. Well, and that's Nathaniel Hackett would be your offensive coordinator. I don't know about that. But I I do find it telling or interesting that I when I was going around and listening to all of these last night, or Orlovsky had a longer cut actually where he named nine teams that <laughs> should take a look at Derek Carr. The Seahawks were not one of them. Dan Graziano from ESPN wrote an article with, I think, four teams uh, that should be in on Derek Carr. The Seahawks were not one of them. Yeah. And NFL.com had someone that wrote up. And so is it... Do you think we're the only ones who think G- there's even a chance Gino doesn't sign with the Seahawks? Well, I just think, and I saw Jeremy Fowler say something similar, that I just think they think it's a foregone conclusion right. that he's staying here. Yeah, they're just like, oh, yeah, well, Gino's going to be there. So. But maybe that's beneficial for the Seahawks if they do want to explore things. They can kind of sneak into some of these negotiations without people knowing that they're... It's absolutely true. Yeah, I don't, I, it is interesting. I mean, look, th- those guys are pretty well tapped in, and they were at the Senior Bowl, and they were around, and so maybe that's just the vibe the Seahawks are putting out. And Gino's gone out publicly and said, hey, I think we'll get some done I want to get something done oddly yesterday he was tweeting that he could be an offensive coordinator right now yeah that was weird that was definitely an odd I mean I don't know what's going on with Gino on social media I just sort of shrugged my shoulders yeah, at that quite a few more song lyrics too yeah so I you know I don't know what what message he's trying to send and maybe I'll stop trying to read too much into it but 
Um, look, I, I believe that they've now started going back and forth in terms of the negotiation. Uh, we've been told and, and insinuated that Gino's looking for some $40 million. I, I don't know how the Seahawks are possibly going to give him $40 million a year and say that that's a good plan. So for all of the national guys that say like, oh, yeah, it's a foregone conclusion, I don't think it is. Now, that's not to say it's not going to happen. I'm not sitting here telling you, you know, it's a physical impossibility that Geno Smith stays with the Seahawks. I still think it's probably, I don't know, 50%, somewhere in that range, likely, maybe a little bit more. Maybe I'm up a little bit higher than that now, somewhere in the 55% range. But foregone conclusion? No way. And and I'll just come back to what I said earlier. Like, I don't want to hear what's the easiest. I want to hear what's the best, even if it's the hardest, even if you got to take some risk, because the path to a Super Bowl generally requires at least a little bit of risk. Meanwhile, speaking of the Super Bowl and how you get there, good stuff from Schlereth yesterday with uh, Wyman and Bob, and he kind of really got into the Chiefs, right, and how how they won this Super Bowl. Yeah. You're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles that, that led the league in, in total quarterback sacks. Now, they didn't pressure, so you got to give a lot of credit to Kansas City because Kansas City locked them down up front. And, you know, Kansas City is a, a, a team that loves to get five out in the pattern, right? So, you're going to go 5-0 protection, you know, R5 versus your five. And they held up, and they did a great job of holding up. Of course, when they did get pressure, Mahomes scrambles around and makes something happen, which is, you know, always kind of the, the formula there. But I, I would just say the bottom line is both these crews, both these teams, do a phenomenal job of dominating the line of scrimmage. He's right about that. And ultimately, in this case, the Chiefs offensive line did a better job than the Eagles defensive line. And that's why they ended up winning that game. Mahomes was good and did his thing. But I think he's absolutely right when you point to to what happens up front. The Seahawks started down this road last year, right, with drafting a couple of bookend tackles. Maybe, you know, again, this is the time to continue down that path. And as much as I say defense, 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 and I do still think they need a little help at wide receiver. They are going to still need a little bit of weaponry and they do have to figure out the quarterback spot. The inside of that line could probably still use two more starting linemen on this team in order to become a unit that is in that same conversation with the Eagles and the, and the chiefs, at least two, maybe three. I mean, that that's, that's the kind of, of commitment it takes. They don't all have to be in the draft. Some of those guys you can get either in free agency or, or you know, kind of develop it. But you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to continue to build on the on both sides of your line, defensive front seven, especially that front four, and then on the offensive line in the interior. And the next time I say take a wide receiver, slap me. Just remind me about this. Just say no, Mike, not a wide receiver. Not to say they're not important. But just slap me the no, next time I talk about that. Ohio State I know I like Jackson Smith and Jig, but just just slap me. Just remind me, Mike, interior <laughs> offensive line and what you need to do to fix your defense. That's the key moving forward. All right. Today is one of the best days of the year and not just because the full swing golf Netflix documentary comes out. Biggest and favorite moment of February. Those magic words. Pitchers and catchers report. It's next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710.